0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bible, I would love for you to open it to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Um, and then we're also going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 today. If you have uh, the YouVersion app on your on your phone or on your tablet, that's the easiest way to follow along with all the things that we're going to be talking about today. We have all sorts of other things that are going on in that app, and we really want you to take advantage of that. So every once in a while here at Westway, the the pastors and elders kind of become aware of something uh, that's going on, and we have to try and figure out, like, how do we talk about these things? What's the best way to talk about kind of what we're seeing, what we're feeling within our body, uh, what we're experiencing and one of the things that I've learned over the last six years is the first thing that I need to do, because my kind of my tendency is to be, is a little be a little bit impulsive. Um, the thing that I've learned over the last six years is, is just to kind of mentally uh, tap the brakes a little bit and have conversations with pastors and have conversations with our elders and, and think and pray and read scripture. And then just when I think that, okay, this, this coming up Sunday is going to be the Sunday that we're going to talk about this thing, I get this sense like, oh, not yet, just just be patient, just wait, just hold on, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. Well, today's the day um, to talk about the importance of gathering, and this Message. Even though we do this every January, this particular message has been um, been in development for about six months. Um, if you really want to know, um, and again, just praying and reading scripture and talking to our elders. And my my biggest prayer this week has been has been two parts. Uh, number one, asking God uh, to give me the right words. Um, I I don't want to come into uh, this topic with, um, with anything but what I feel like God is calling me to talk about. And the other thing that I've been praying about this week in particular has been for you. I've been praying that God, God would open your ears, that God would open the ears of our body, would open our eyes to like see and hear what God has for us when we talk about the importance of gathering And as again, I've been thinking and praying about this uh, several weeks ago. Um, It was probably two months ago now, uh, back in the middle of our Roman series. We talked about this concept, these three things called essentials. Maybe you remember this. Essentials, convictions, and preferences. So an essential is like a must-have, must-do. It's not an option for us. If God is telling us to do something as part of the Christian life, it's an essential. We, we have to do it. The second thing was a conviction, and that's, that's kind of like a strongly held belief, and I've got an example that I'm going to go over here in a second, but a conviction is a strongly held belief. And then the third of those categories is preferences, and that is just what it sounds like. It's just a matter of opinion, right? So we have these three things, and what we talked about, and I'll talk about it again today, we think about the Bible, so from an essential standpoint, the Bible is inspired by God. And this is, this is what the Bible actually says about itself. It's inspired by God. It teaches us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. And it teaches us to do what's right. That's what the Bible is. Okay, that's an essential. Well, then Conviction. Uh, like, how are we going to use it? How often are we going to use it? How much are we going to read it? And here at Westway Christian Church, it is our conviction based on the essential of what the Bible is. It's our conviction that, that every opportunity we get, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to talk about what the Bible says. That's going to be what we refer to. So, so as we're thinking about, like, what does it look like for us to gather? And we think about our own convictions kind of coming out of that. We're going to go back. We're going to see what the Bible has to say. And then the third thing is preference, right? And that's, that's, that's translation is a preference for us. Um, the delivery method. So some people, some people use, use a paper Bible. And I'll tell you, as a person who um, likes the Bible in multiple transmission methods, um, one of my favorite sounds in the entire world is when I tell you what Bible verses we're gonna look at on a Sunday morning. Um, I love hearing that noise. It's like the greatest noise ever. But this is, this is a preference. This is a preference for us. And our normal thing, we talked about this a few months ago, our normal thing is to take our preferences and our convictions and promote them. Does that make sense? What we all normally do, we take the things that are preferences and we make it a conviction. We have to. We have to, this is the only Bible that, that matters on a piece of paper, uh, computer, tel- tablet, phone, not good enough, right? We often promote our preferences to convictions, and then we often promote our convictions to essentials, right? This is, this is what we normally do. And as we're sitting in small group that week, we were, we were kind of talking about that conversation. I thought to myself, well, and then I asked the question, I said well knowing that knowing that our normal activity our normal bent is to promote preferences and convictions and make them essentials have you ever thought about the times when you've taken an essential and made it a conviction or a preference you ever done that taking something that that god says you must and then in our sinfulness, and our brokenness, we demote it to a conviction. We demote it to a preference. Um, Let me help you out. If you've ever thought, I know what the Bible says about fill in the blank, but it's okay if I do it. God is okay with this. If, if God really knew what me and my situation were, he's going to be okay with my choice. See, I'm going to tell you what, what you're doing in that, What we and, and we all do this, to our shame. What we're doing in this is we're taking an essential and we're demoting it to a conviction. We're demoting it to a preference. So one of the questions like we have to kind of ask is, what are the essentials then? If the essentials are essentials, we probably ought to get them right, correct? Like, we need to know what those essentials are. And today, we're going to talk, talk about gathering, and, and we're doing it all month long, loving, gathering, giving, serving, and going. Uh, we're not necessarily talking about, like, essentials such as, Jesus was born of a virgin we're not talking about a theological essential that says Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for my sins. Like that's not, that's really not the essential, the kind of essential that we're talking about. We're talking about the essentials um, as they relate to our practices, as they relate to our behaviors. So because of those, like those theological essentials that we have, because Jesus was born of a virgin, because Jesus died a substitutionary, um, uh, paid in a substitutionary atonement for for our sinfulness, like because of the reality of who Jesus is, then, then we act a certain way. There are certain things that are essential for us as believers. And our essentials, when we think about practices, they come from the same place our theological essentials come from. They come from the Bible. So when we're thinking about this, like, how do I practically live out my Christian life? What's an essential? What's a conviction? What's a preference? Like, I need to, man, I need to read the Bible. Which goes back to what I said earlier. Like, what is the Bible? It's God-breed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Right? So we, because that's what the Bible is, when we think about our essentials in practice, we go to the Bible, and we talk about them every January, now we've added loving. I told you that last week. Loving, gathering, giving, serving, and going. Like these are, these are essentials for the Christian life. Let's talk about love for a minute. Is love for the Christian an essential? See, this is the question we ought to ask. Is love for the Christian an essential? Well, Jesus says this in John 13, 34, and 35. This is one of the great things about having you version with you. I can tell you one verse and go to something else. John 13, 34 to 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Question. Essential conviction or preference? Essential. Love each other. He says, I'm giving you a new what? Commandment. I'm giving you a commandment, not not when you want to, not when you feel like it, not when the other person's nice to you. He's giving us a commandment to love each other. And this sounds pretty serious. But what does love each other mean, right? We ask this next level question. This is the way we ought to approach the Bible, what does this mean, love each other? And Jesus tells us in the next verse, He says, Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's an amazing text. It's amazing, essential for us. The world, I'm sorry, I'm going to start over. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How does the world know that we are Jesus' disciples? By our love for one another as Christians. There was this, um, I follow, you may have heard there's this magazine called The Christian Standard. We have several of them out in the lobby. I think it's out quarterly at this point, and it's, a, it's just a magazine for Christian churches and churches of Christ. And just like everyone else, they have a Facebook page. Um, and this past week, the, the Christian Standard posted an article about a church changing its name, I don't remember, it was something, something Christian church, and now they changed their name to something like the Journey Church or, or something like that. And I have been around Christian church and Church of Christ circles long enough that when I scrolled through the comments, it was predictable. There were people who were like, well, basically, how is Jesus going to recognize his church unless the word Christian is in it? Like that's the sentiment. Number one, Jesus knows who his church is. Okay? Doesn't need to be a sign on the building. But all these people like start asking this question. And I'm like, well, what does Jesus say? He said, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not by the name of on a building. I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm not saying it's not helpful when we're looking for a church to be a part of. I'm just saying as, as Christians, like, that probably ought not to be reason one or, or, yeah, reason one why you pick a church because of the name on the wall. Churches can put whatever they want to on their building. It doesn't mean they're Christians because what Jesus says is, your love for one another will prove that you're my disciples. And in order for us to love one another, something is required. And since it's the title of today's message, it's gathering. See, if, if we're not together, if we're not together, we can't do this. We can't love if we're not together. How can we possibly be obedient to this commandment? Commandment. How can we possibly be obedient to it if we're not together? So I would argue, the Bible, that gathering is an essential. And we see this actually in two different ways in the Bible. The first one is by example. So us, us Bible college nerds um, like to call that descriptive. So the Bible is describing something, a practice. Of the early church, it's describing it. But the other Bible college nerd word is prescriptive. And that means just what you think it sounds like. If you get a prescription from your doctor, he's, he's telling you to do something, right? See, the Bible tells us that the gathering is essential in two ways. Descriptively and prescriptively. Let's look at the descriptive way. This is Acts 2, 42 to 47. And if you've been in church for more than 10 and a half seconds, um, you've heard this text. And what I was thinking about, one of the things I think about when I read verses that we've all all heard before, how easy it, it is for us to say, yeah, 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 we've heard all that. Um, question Has it changed your mind? Has it changed your life? Are you doing anything with it? This is Acts 2 42 to 47. Um, here's the context The Holy Spirit has just descended on the disciples who are in an upper room because that's where Jesus told them to go after, before he ascended. So they went to this room and they're waiting. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends on the believers. And I'm contractually obligated to do this. Little tongues of fire came out over their heads. And they began speaking all of these languages. All of the different languages of the people who had gathered in Jerusalem, specifically on the day of Pentecost to worship God. These disciples go out and they're talking, they're proclaiming the gospel. Peter gets up. We're going to talk about Peter so much Um, over the next couple months. I can't wait. Um. Peter stands up and he gives this sermon, and, and at the end it says that, that 3,000, this is verse 41 of Acts 2, and those who believed Peter, what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all, and that was probably just the men, not including women and, and children. So 3,000 people plus come to know who Jesus is, and what do they do next? Did they just go home? Go back to their lives? No, it says Acts 2.42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. See, this, word, this phrase devoted themselves, it's, it's actually an active verb. What it means is they were devoting themselves. It was a continual action. They weren't saved, they weren't baptized, and then one time they all kind of gathered together in wherever, all the places they gathered, and then they all just went home. No, they continued in this. They were devoting themselves in a continual action to something, actually for something. The first is the apostles' teaching. This was an instruction, so this, this means they were being taught something. When the early church, those 3,000 plus, the 120 plus however many women and children were saved in the midst of that, when they got together, they were devoting themselves actively to the apostles' teaching. They were devoting themselves actively to fellowship. The Greek word there is koinonia, and that's partnership and participation. Participation. It was not doing what, like... You may not know this about me, um, and my wife will debate me. She's going to tell me I'm wrong later today. I'm kind of an introvert. I am. I Honestly, I'm kind of an introvert. Um, like, when there's lots of things going on, I kind of like being against the wall and just kind of watching. Right? This is not, this is not what participation is. Participation is not just kind of watching everything happen, but participating, being a partner in it, doing something. They were devoted to that. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They ate meals together. They ate meals together. This is who the church was. They were saved. They were baptized. They got together for the apostles' teaching. They got together together for fellowship, and they ate meals together. They prayed. The Greek word there means something amazing. It means prayed. They prayed. They prayed together. What happened? Like, what was the fruit of that? Well, the Bible tells us. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So this is telling us something. This is, this is describing for us the practices of the early church. Notice it really doesn't tell us how they did those things. See, that would be prescriptive. It just tells us that they did. And when they did, something amazing happened. And it's not so amazing because when the Holy Spirit shows up, when people are being obedient to God, like great things happen. So what we're seeing is, is the fruit of this. There was transformation. People, people are transformed. That's what we're reading about here. People grow. People are sanctified. That means becoming holy. See, when, when the church gathered, something incredible happened. The people were changed And they lived out this changed life to other people. And it says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That means when they demonstrated the fact that they were changed, other people were changed by them too. And we're going to talk more about this in a few weeks. The early church's evangelism plan was to just go be Christians. Just be Christians. Christians. Live your lives as though you have been changed. Live your lives as though you have the Holy Spirit dwelling with inside of you. And, and here's what's going to happen according to this. Like, people are going to notice if you're living a changed life. But it's not just, it's not just descriptive, it's prescriptive. And this is, this is Hebrews chapter 10. Joe started at 24 Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as the day of his return is drawing near. Now, I don't know about you, that sounds an awful lot like a command, doesn't it? Let us not neglect our meeting together. And I know what some of you are thinking, because you have heard me say for almost six years, the Bible is written for us and not to us. So how do we know is this command for us? Is it not for us? And if you have that question, like one of the little things we want to do then is we want to like look back at the rest of the entire Bible and see, does this agree with everything else God has told his people since the beginning of time or does it disagree? And if it agrees, that's prescriptive. That is for us. That is to us. And I... Did my research on this text too. Let us not neglect. That word is, meaning, don't abandon. Don't leave behind. Don't forsake. Ann and I have been, you're probably more sanctified than Ann and I are. Um, Ann and I have been watching this show called 1883. And it's about the move west And the episode, one of the episodes that we watched a few nights ago is this group of people who are wagon training all the way out to Oregon. They got to a river. And um, Sam Elliott in, did you know that dude's 78 years old, by the way? Sam Elliott in his 78-year-old, still pretty awesome cowboy voice is going through all the wagons and he's seeing all the stuff that all these people have with them that they're trying to bring west. And he's telling them that if you try to cross the river, and I'm going to say this much nicer than he did, if you try to cross the river with all that stuff, you're going to drown. You're going to die. So there's this amazing scene where they pull all the stuff out of their wagons and it's just this big field of all of this abandoned stuff. So that's what That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Don't neglect the meeting. Don't leave all this behind. The context, our meeting together is our own. Don't abandon your own people. See, you are followers of God. Don't abandon your people as some people do, as is the habit. So the, the Greek kind of, combination there is the ethos or the custom or the manner. Like, some people are in the habit at this point in history of not meeting together. It's their habit. It's their ethos. But instead, encourage, beseech one another greatly. That's kind of what I'm all torn up about inside today as I've been praying about, because what I want to do is I want to exhort you. I want to beseech you greatly. I don't want to drive you to being furious. I don't want you to drive to anger. But for six months, I've been praying about how I'm going to beseech you today. I'm here for it. And Then he says this, because the day of Christ's return is drawing near. You know what he doesn't say? Don't give up meeting together because we've got to keep attendance up. Don't give up meeting together because we're in this competition with the church across town and we have to make sure we have more people than they do. He says, Don't give up meeting together. You need to encourage one another because the day of Christ's return is coming near. See, there's an end game to this. We we talked about that a few years ago when we read through the book of Revelation together. This this book has an end. And it's kind of a spoiler, but we know how it ends. And how it ends is Jesus comes back and the people who are his are going to be with him for all eternity. And the people who aren't his are not going to be with him for all eternity. And the hard part is, like, we don't know when that day is. Imagine Hebrews, I want to say, I know we read through Hebrews a few years ago, 50s, 60s, when that, he, when that book was written. They thought that Jesus was coming soon then. It's 2,000 years later. I don't know when he's coming back. This gathering is essential because he's coming back. This I don't know when the end of revelation is. I don't know timeline wise when this happens. If you're watching somebody on TV who tells you they know, they don't. We, don't. we don't know. We need to be encouraged. We need to be around one another. And the Bible's telling us that that gathering with other believers, both descriptively and prescriptively, is an essential. And maybe, we read this story one time, Rob Renow was, in one of his books, was talking about, um, was talking about the, what a church looks like. He was in this conversation with someone, and, and he was like, well, a church uh, does things like um, serves communion, baptizes, has elders... And then this person started asking, okay, well, what, what is the, what, where does the Bible say all that? So, so, of course, Rob took this person to the first and second Timothy, to Titus, which is where we get a lot of those kinds of things. And the person responded, uh, there was one thing that would, there was just one verse on, and the person said, well, there's only one verse that says that. And Rob's answer was, well, does there have to be more? Like, how many things do we have to read in the Bible for us to realize that God is serious? That God cares about our gathering. And I think this gathering looks like lots of different things. It looks like this on Sunday mornings. It looks like small groups, Bible studies, having a meal with somebody, having coffee with somebody, talking about biblical things. But here's the thing. Gathering is not nothing. It's not aimless. It's not unintentional for us as Christians. See, the Bible, the kind of gathering that the Bible talks about helps us learn how to be Christians by loving one another. That's how we learn to do this. In your YouVersion app, you'll see a link for, to the 59 one another's in the Bible that are listed in the New Testament. I would tell you, if you're not in relationship with other people, if you are not gathering with other people, it's going to be awfully hard to one another them. The kind of gathering the Bible talks about gives us work to do. It's giving and serving. We're going to talk about that all next week. The kind of gathering that the Bible talks about for us puts us in real relationships with one another. We can be known We can know other people. That's what that means. The Bible puts us, this relationship puts us in relationship with other people around prayer. It gives us encouragement to Christ. See, what I would submit to you, it is that it's the gathering that leads to our transformation. It's the gathering that leads to our growth. It's the gathering that leads to our holiness. And, and absent that consistent gathering, you are going to find a ceiling for your growth. I don't, know, I don't know how tall that ceiling is. But if you are a Christian and you are not consistently gathering, there's going to be a ceiling. Why? Because this puts us in relationship with people who are shaping and forming us into being more like Christ. This puts us into a relationship with people that we may not all get along with. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if I did, if I were to ask a question like, are there, how many of you have someone in this room that you don't get along with? If you don't raise your hand, like, you're just not being truthful. God brings us together with people that we don't always get along with. But we have something in common, and that's, that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reality of it is, if we can't be around one another, and we have something uniting us like Jesus Christ, how in the world are we going to be able to take the message that we supposedly all believe about inclusiveness through Jesus Christ? How are we going to take that to the world? are we going to share that gospel with people who don't believe in Jesus? It's impossible for us to do that. Well, this part I'm going to read, this is is one of the things that's been stewing on my brain. Well, what if I don't want those things? I don't want to learn and I don't need to learn. I don't want to give and I don't want to serve. Besides, I can do those things outside of the church. I don't want to be known, and I cannot be bothered by knowing others. I don't want to pray with others, I don't need to be encouraged, and I don't want to encourage others. See, I think most of us are far too domesticated and genteel to say any of those things. But I think we do say them when we say things like, I can be a Christian without going to church. I don't believe in organized religion. My church is the golf course or the mountains or the lake or the running trail. See, we might be able to encounter God in those spaces, but that's not a church. That's not what your church is. And I would say that A Christian who refuses to gather, who refuses to be obedient to God's commands to gather, is one who's rejecting God's plan, design, and purpose for their life. We know this is what God is calling us to. And I have so many people in my life, I've had so many conversations with people who who tell me how they don't don't need the church. I don't need the church. I don't need the church. I don't need the church. Until they do. Weddings, funerals, counseling, financial assistance, gas, food, like the list goes on and on and on and on. And maybe, maybe that's your mindset. Sitting in here today, maybe watching online, like if you haven't turned it off already, um, like maybe that's your mindset. Like at least they can turn it off, and I guess you can get up and leave if you want to. Maybe that's our mindset. Like like I don't need the church, right? I don't need the church. I had um, several months ago. I had someone tell me that in in one of those in one of those domesticated ways, um, several months ago, and. And I woke up later that night, about 2 a.m., and I could, man, I just could not go back to sleep. Um, this happens about, um, you could check with Anne on this. This is probably like a every other week, every three weeks kind of thing for me, like conversations that I, that I have with people in our body, people, conversations that I have with people in our community. Um, things that, that I wake up just like burdened for over what I know is going on in your life. Um, wake up 2 o'clock in the morning, can't go back to sleep. So I think I laid there. This is my, my move is to kind of lay there for about 20 minutes um, and like pray and try to go back to sleep. And finally, I'm like, I'm just going to get up and have coffee. And as I did that and thought about um, that, that mindset, this is kind of what I came to, and this is, this is what I want to encourage you in. This is what I want to exhort you in. This is what I want to beseech you in. Um, the church needs you. What if it's not about you not needing the church? The church needs you. And as I reflected that night and I've have, have calmed this down, this is why I wait months to talk about certain things. This is me tempered, you should know. I think when you say, when we say, I don't need the gathering, I don't need the church, what we're doing is we are exhibiting the epitome of selfishness and self-centeredness. This is me toned down. When we say that, as Christians... I don't need the body of Christ. What we're doing is we're demonstrating how selfish and self centered we really are as people. And the church needs you. The church needs your gifts and your talents and your skills. It needs your time. It needs your treasure. It needs your efforts. It needs your energy. It needs your, pr- your presence. It needs your wisdom. It needs your experience, and it needs your love. See, because there are people in this body that have had experiences that are different than mine. Some of those people have had experiences that are similar to yours. And when we refuse to participate, what we're doing is we are removing a a discipleship method out of that person's life. We are not participating in the discipleship of others. And in fact, when we say that we don't need the church, um, what we're doing is we're demonstrating the exact opposite. We're indicating that we know very little about God. We're indicating that we know very little about the way that God works. You're indicating just how much you need the church, in fact. Romans 9.20 says this. So we go back to 8.19. Well, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Here's the next part. Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? See, when you say, I don't need the church, what you're saying is, I, God has made me for a way that I don't care about. I'm uninterested in. Romans 12:6 Some of these are going to come up next week. In his grace God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So each one of us has a gift. 1 Corinthians 12:7 A spiritual gift is given to each one of us, to each of us, so that we can help each other. There's no asterisk there. There's nothing that says, see bottom of the page, and when you get to the bottom of it, it says, this doesn't mean you. Again, this is me tempered. This is me six months thinking about this. This is more of what I'm going to read. You need to be in real relationship with people who will give you advice and accountability, not compliments. This happens when we are truly known, when we eat together, when we serve each other. We need to spend time connecting with others and God through prayer. One of the things, and you've probably noticed this over the last year that we've been doing, is we've been keeping attendance. We've been tracking who's, who's in small group, who comes on at 1015. That's why we kind of try and catch you at the door. Team trains Wednesday nights. Um, if you're here, um, we, we just want to know who's in the building. There are lots of things that we want to make sure that we're on top of as a church. And we're noticing a few things. One of them is that when we have someone come up and talk to us as pastors or elders, and and they tell us how how they are growing in their relationship with God, how they're growing in their transformation, how they're growing in their holiness, those people are typically... Those who consistently gather, whether it's Sunday morning, in small groups, or serving, typically. And that's really not that big of a surprise, is it? One of the things that John talked about last week when when he was speaking, he talked about the only muscles that grow are the ones we work. If you don't use a foreign language, you'll forget it. And if you do the things a disciple does, you'll grow in your discipleship. Common sense, the way that works. And one of the things that we've discovered, and this was the six-month-ago point of when the trajectory and the die of today's message was cast, one of the things that we learned about six months ago um, is pretty disturbing. The average person at Westway on Sunday morning is here less than two times a month. the average person who comes to Westway on a Sunday morning is here less than two times a month. And as we've been thinking about this and and reflecting on it, it's really disturbing. Some of those months, as we've gone back and looked at last year, some of the months, um, 60%, 60%, of people, if we asked, is Westway your home church? You would say yes, or here less than twice a month. We frequently have 400 plus different people in any given month. So if we were to look at everyone who came in every single month last year, it would be more than 400 individuals. And our attendance is less than half that. And one of the things that we've had, to, we've had to realize in the midst of all of this is what that means is on any given Sunday, me, whoever is speaking up here, is talking to half our church body. In fact, probably less than half of our church body. That, that causes some challenges for us. Because one of the things that we say frequently when we gather together on Sunday morning and whoever's speaking says it, I think I've done it about four times, says, Remember last week when John said this? You know what that means? It means half of the people who are here have no idea what I'm talking about. When we go through a book like Romans, when we go through first and second Peter here, those are eight weeks, that's an eight week series. If you're here two times, you're going to catch two out of eight weeks. I Just, how are you being discipled? How are you learning and growing in your relationship with God? And if all you hear today is, we want butts in the seats, man, you are missing out. This is about your discipleship. This is about your relationship with God. This is about your encouragement because Jesus is coming back. We need you and you need the church. I shared this, talked about this book a few weeks ago, months ago when we were going through Romans. See, there it is. This book's called When in Romans, and Beverly Gaventa has this great quote. She says, the church is God's. It belongs to God as the one who both called it into being, called us to faith, and sustains it. It is not a voluntary association composed of those who have decided to affiliate with others for self-improvement or like belief or fellowship or even service, but a gathering of those called to be holy. I want to unpack that just for a second. The church is God's. It belongs to God as the one who both called it into being, called us to faith, and sustain it. So one of the things that we have to remember, the church, little c, is not my church, and it's not your church. It's God's church. This place belongs to him. And we have human leaders. And the only reason that Westway Christian Church has has been around for 70 years is because of God. He's the only reason. And the big C church, the only reason it's been around for 2,000 years is because of God. And she ain't going anywhere. She's not going to be defeated. The next part was, it is not a voluntary association. I want to push back on this one just for a second. It's not a voluntary association. Um, I would say the little C church is 100% a voluntary association. The fact that You are here at Westway Christian Church. This is a voluntary association. There there are none of us here who are keeping other people here in the room. We wake up on Sunday morning and like, we decide whether or not we're going to go to Westway Christian Church. And this is one of those six-month things that I've just been praying about. If this isn't the place for you, You're free to find a church that is. This is a voluntary association. When people tell me that they're leaving, I pray with them, I express sorrow, and then I encourage them to get involved and connected at whatever church they happen to go to. And maybe it's not this place. Little C Church, a voluntary association. Big C Church, 100% not voluntary. If you're a Christian, you are expected to gather with other believers. Expected. It's an essential. It's part of the deal. And when we don't, we are demoting an essential to at best a conviction, at worst a preference. I'm going to read part of this quote again. It is not a voluntary association composed of those who have decided to affiliate with others for self-improvement or like belief or fellowship or even service, but a gathering of those called to be holy. See, we're not all affiliating together because we're a morality club. We're not all affiliating with one another because we like or we dislike a certain translation of the Bible. It's not why we're gathered together. We're gathered together because... God has called us to be holy because God has set apart for himself a people and he has invited us to receive his grace, to receive his mercy, to receive his love. And once we have become recipients of those things, what we do is we leave this place and we go demonstrate that same grace, mercy, and love to to other people. That's why we're here. Because we want them to find the same salvation that we have. And my hope and my prayer for you today, as I think about like, as I say it, the who cares question, my hope and my prayer for you today is that you will you will be motivated to be a part of the gathering. That you will understand what your call is that you will understand what your role is as a follower of Christ that you will understand how much we need you you will understand how much the church needs you because if you leave like hold on if you leave westway and you go to another church they're going to want you to be involved too i have friends who are pastors in our community they're facing what I told you statistically, every church in the United States is facing this. Every single one. And the fix is for us to understand who God is calling us to be as people and be involved and engaged. That's what fixes it. That's the resolve for us. And My prayer for you is that you will, you will desire, you'll see what God is doing. And You'll desire to be a part of it. Because he's coming back. He knows who his people are. He knows who his people aren't. He's coming back for us. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning beyond any other thing. that you would help us to be committed to the body of Christ that you have placed us into. And if that's here at Westway Christian Church, awesome. If that's another body, God, awesome. We just want to be obedient to you. I pray that we would see what your call is on our lives to participate in your work. And it's in your son's name, I pray. Amen.